on that day, this fateful day, August 22, 2012, I was driving in my burgundy Toyota Camry at the time. And I got to the part where the road merged into the highway. I'm cruising down the lane. All of a sudden, my lane gets cut to half because this neighboring car loses control. And so I'm swerving out of the way so I don't get hit. And I smash into the left guardrail, boom, one car, boom, two cars, boom, boom, boom. So I come back to the left guardrail, the car lifts up, it's perpendicular to the bridge. I'm certain uh, this is the end of my life. And I'm thinking, you have, you know that question is the cliche question, have you done everything you said you were gonna do? And I was this, this kid, this guy who was, who was certain that he was gonna, you know, honor his ancestors like the late Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey. But here I was not being able to say I had done everything I said I was going to do. And adrenaline kicked in at the same time. I don't know how I got out of the car, but I got out of the car and my car was completely totaled. Two other cars were hit and I was standing in the middle of the highway. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Cars were hit. But fortunately, nothing happened to me besides being shocked. And I decided to quit my job shortly after that and moved to New York City. That was a very pivotal moment that essentially led to, to launch my career. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Are you living inside of stressful stories that don't serve your life? And why should you be aware of the emotional triggers in your body? And do you even know what your core values are? Well, in this episode, my guest, Tayo Roxon, and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Tayo Roxon is a man whose work I'm just beginning to learn about. He's been a podcast host since 2014, which I am, am very impressed to learn about. <laughs> this shit is no joke. But more than that, I admire his work as a co-founder at UYD Management, which I believe stands for Use Your Differences, a strategic consulting firm that empowers organizations to incorporate sustainable diversity and inclusion practices. Now, those are interesting words, diversity and inclusion, that in our currently polarized society can trigger a variety of responses depending on the listener, from appreciation and gratitude to resistance and anger to just pure indifference. But that's what makes Tayo's work so important. We're clearly living in a time when the differences between people are being increasingly highlighted and blown up in ways that are leading to actual violence. So learning how to navigate our differences in ways that preserve partnership is essential if we genuinely want to live in a world where we all get to feel safe nourished, and supported to live good lives. Seems to me that's what Tayo's work is all about and why I invited him on the men this way. As the son of a diplomat, Tayo grew up immersed in the nuances of multicultural diversity by living on four different continents. He's since become a world-renowned speaker, and he's the author of Use Your Difference to Make a Difference, How to Connect and Communicate in a Cross-Cultural World. In 2020, he launched the national anti-racism campaign, uh, the hashtag Let's Talk Bias. And in our conversation today, Tayo and I explore a life journey that began with him, uh, began with a near-death car accident at age 22. Uh, well, I had one at age 26, so uh, I can really relate to his story there and, and how that was life-changing for him. And we talk about strategies for bridging painful differences with the people we love. We talk about the value and practice of courage. We talk about all that and more. Now, one more thing. My new book, Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her, recently hit number 12 on Amazon in the dating genre. I'm pretty proud and excited about that. Uh, so it means people are buying it and reading it and word is spreading and people are getting really uh, deep value out of it. Choose her every day or leave her. And I know it's 12 in the dating genre. I think it was like 23 in the marriage genre. So it's great if you're dating or if you're in relationship and it's essential for any man or woman 
who genuinely wants to thrive in intimacy. Go get it online wherever you buy your books. All right, back to my conversation with Tayo Roxon. Take a deep breath. Oh, let me do the same. Take a deep breath, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> and stay present with us all the way through to Tayo's five key takeaways at the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. Tayo, Roxon, what's up, man? I'm good. Brian, Reeves, how are you? <laughs> yes, I like it. Uh, man, I'm really honored to have you on Men This Way. Thank you for saying yes. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Been looking forward to it for quite some time as, you know, my wife, Sylvie, is, she's, it's interesting. She's brought oh, all kinds of great things into my life. And one of those gifts that she's brought on a few different occasions is, is, is good men. So I know she, she connected us. Uh, so I want to honor her, Sylvie, my wife, Sylvie Kukasian for, for making this happen. Yes. And truly, man, I'm, um, a, after she introduced us and I started to learn more about you and what you're up to and the voice you have in the world and what you stand for, yeah. uh, it was a no brainer for me to invite you on to men this way. Well, it's a pleasure to be on. Yes, and and your wife Sylvie is a uh, is a great force to be reckoned with. So, I also did some research on you when she <laughs> she insisted <laughs> that we connected, and I, and I love the platform and how unapologetic you are about it. So, it's a mutual adoration society here. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. So, Tayo, to to let's dive in, man. And and one thing that I like to ask. Uh, First time guests, especially, is is to help uh, my audience learn more about you and, and help us just know who you are as as a man. Um, is to ask you about a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. This is you know this is a very great question for me because I one of the things that I've been doing since I was a kid is writing. I'm also I'm a writer and as a writer you tend to reflect a lot and I have several pivotal moments. So I'm trying to think of which one to start off with. I'll go to a, I'll start off with the age of 22 and then I can go backwards. But I remember significantly August 22, 2012, you know, and I was, um, you know, I was basically in a job that I despised in a town I didn't want to live in. And I had come to this point in my life where I had accepted a fate that my dreams and my realities were just not going to happen. You know, here I am, an immigrant. I just and how how old are you at 22. this moment? And um, I yeah, I had just gotten to the point where I got the visa, right? H one B visa. And for anyone listening that understands the H one B visa, it's a visa that a company um, grants you, and it's usually like a lottery. And so I just thought, well, I was this man who was trying to fight uh, oppression, but I didn't feel like I could do that here because options were limited. And I got into this job after 85 job rejections. And I just basically begged this company that had given me an internship before to give me a job. But on that day, this fateful day, August 22, 2012, I was driving in my Burgundy Toyota Camry at the time. And I got to the part where the road merged into the highway. I'm cruising down the lane. All of a sudden, my lane gets cut to half because this neighboring car loses control. And so I'm swerving out of the way so I don't get hit. And I smash into the left guardrail, boom, one car, boom, two cars, boom, boom, boom. So I come back to the left guardrail, the car lifts up, it's perpendicular to the bridge. I'm certain uh, this is the end of my life. And I'm thinking, you have, you know that question is the cliche question, have you done everything you said you were gonna do? And I was this, this kid, this guy who was, who was certain that he was gonna you know, honor his ancestors like the late Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey. But here I was not being able to say I had done everything I said I was going to do. And adrenaline kicked in at the same time. I don't know how I got out of the car, but I got out of the car and my car was completely totaled. Two other cars were hit and I was standing in the middle of the highway. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Cars were hit. But fortunately, nothing happened to me besides being shocked. And I decided to quit my job shortly after that and moved to New York City. That was a very pivotal moment that essentially led to, to launch my career. Uh, and obviously, there have been a series of other moments like that. But that's the, the catalyst, I would say, for where I am today. Now, I'm curious about that because, you know, I, I had a, at 26 years old myself, I was in the military. I also had a, 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 
a car accident that where I narrowly avoided by one second in either way a head-on collision with a semi 16-wheeler truck on a four-lane highway. We had crossed the median in Slushy Road and head-on collision was imminent. And I remember after that, we, 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 did, we obviously weren't hit. I wasn't killed. I survived it. But I remember after that, I wanted to just go and tell everyone that I loved them. Mm-hmm. Like everyone... I, I made phone calls. Like, I, like there was a, I wanted to connect with my people. I'm, I'm curious, what was like the mindset shift for you that that triggered in that moment that enabled you to then quit your job to make that massive change, knowing that there was no guarantee on the other side? Well, well Brian, it was the realization that I, I didn't control time. A lot of times we are at this moment in our lives with our dreams and our ambitions, we just say, Two years from now, later, 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 later. We don't even give it a, a you know a finite time or defined time. And once that happened, it suddenly dawned on me that first of all, I didn't know that was going to happen. I was just driving to work. I was going to be doing something in, a, in you know the mundane tasks that I'd been doing, and I'd gotten used to routine. But when you realize that you don't have as much time as you think you do, everything else uh, has a higher sense of urgency, and so that sense of urgency became so much of a priority for me that I couldn't fathom the idea of having my life end and not doing anything I said I was going to do. It was a matter of integrity and just, um, I just couldn't believe that I was about to go down that path because that's the question I asked myself. I was like, okay, so I'm done now. What have, have I done anything I said I was going to do? And it was so sad for me to, to say that, but it was just that time, that realization of time. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. I look at I'm 47 now, and I had my accident at 26, mm. and I look at every moment afterwards. And I look, there have been some really hard times since then, no doubt. Of course, but I look at everything as bonus time. Like in those video games, you know, I don't know if you play those video games where you have to racing games and you have uh, to get to the finish line, like you know, but before the timer expires, and if you hit the finish line before it gets to zero seconds, you it adds on oh, bonus yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it's racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I felt like that. I'm curious. Here you are. How how many years later are we? So that so, from that. So that yeah. So now it's uh, I'm about to be 32. So we're approaching 10 years. That's fascinating. 10 years. You know what? I didn't realize it was it was a decade until you just asked me this question. So I'm approaching 10 years, and there's a saying that I that I once heard: we often overestimate what we can do in a year but underestimate what we can do in a decade. Now, at that moment, <laughs> you're, just, you're just making me reflect on this. There's no way I could yeah. have projected this out because I just knew I needed to get out of that rut I was in. I had no yeah. idea what the next few years would be. But many of us get into that overestimation of, oh, we haven't, we haven't done this because we're matching our timelines with our, our, our neighbors in comparisons to the thief of joy. And it's just it's so funny what happens when you honor your own path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of masculinity. So we can get there. So celebrating you, man, celebrating (laughs) your choice, honoring you for making that choice and clearly sticking with that path. And I'm curious because there's a lot of men. Well, let let me let me just pause a minute and allow you to to, because I can sell this is like you reflecting on this like, wow, 10 years. Look where you at, man. Look, look at you. Um, <laughs> I just want to celebrate you right now because I know that's not an easy thing. Yes, yes, and thank you. I appreciate that. It, it's obviously, I'm sure if people can't see me now, I, I have a. I'm still working. Something I'm working on is pausing and accepting uh, moments of praise. So I appreciate that. Uh, I, I will say this because we're talking about uh, this is a podcast about men. Uh, one of the things I needed to unlearn were narratives around weakness as masculinity. Now, if you look at I am the oldest of three boys, right? And I, I grew up very quickly uh, because my dad was a diplomat. And so I remember coming here at 17 years old with my um, 16-year-old brother at the time. And, you know, I was going to college. He was going to stay with a host parent and then transition to college later. And he, my dad just said to me, because he was posted to Vietnam, he said to me, you're the father now. And I remember that saying, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of what came with that is that, you are the one everyone is looking at now. You know, I have a younger, another brother who's 10 years younger. And so I've always been very cognizant of that. But one of the things that I hadn't quite fully unlearned, even on that, at that moment of the accident, was the idea 
that I would be seen as a failure. When you are programmed to think that a man can't fail, especially, you know, you know, in several of the cultural outbrings I was, you, you, you keep things in. And I'd hidden a lot of traumatic experiences that I had had grown up living under three military regimes and two of them dictatorships, having an identity crisis, having a moment where I could even acknowledge my several panic attacks. I had no language for these things because I hadn't come to the point of acceptance. And so I think the thing in retrospect that really helped unlock me a decade ago was I finally surrendered to the idea that this paradigms I was living under and these paradigms of success really had no merit in my growth. And so I, I started to pick up language to explain a lot of my traumatic experiences along the way. Yeah, that's powerful. I, I, one of my big shifts in my own journey as a man is, has been the willingness, the willingness to fail. Mm. Whatever the hell that means, like really accepting that it's possible, and uh, and and not just that it's possible, but you know what, I'm willing for it. Yeah, no, I, I like you that, know, and and which allows me to just keep showing up, keep keep creating, keep keep saying yes to things where failure is a possibility. But one of my coaches that I've studied with, uh, Rich Litvin, would say that that yes lives in the land of no. Yes lives in the land of no. You have to be willing to play in the land of no in order to to. Figure out where the yeses. I know are. Rich. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Rich remembers me, but I I know Rich and his wife. Um, I've done um some poetry with his wife actually, but yeah, Rich is a very influential coach in this, and I love that. Yes, lives in the land of no, and I will even add this. I, I um, is this something I just came up with the other day? I'm gonna. <laughs> paraphrase myself. It was something along the line of, okay. <laughs> I know, right? I don't know if that's possible. Plagiarism time. <laughs> so at the intersection, I think I said at the intersection of fear and failure is where your legacy resides or something like that. Because at that moment where you, you fear and failure meet each other, you're going to determine who you are going to end up being, whether it's the, the action or inaction you choose to take. And I love the the yes lives in the land of no, because there are many choices you make in those moments, whether it's to preserve yourself or to be uncomfortable. So now I know there's a lot of men listening and women too, who are, who are doing work they don't love, who maybe have a dream, a vision, something else. They know that they're, they're, they're destined for something else, feeling the fear of making any, any choices around it. Uh, mm. Probably some of them are wishing they might have a near-death experience so that they would find the. I hope not. <laughs> the inspiration, <laughs> but I don't wish that on anybody. Yeah. I mean, I kind of do, but I don't, because <laughs> uh, it's fifty-fifty odds you survive it. You know, <laughs> not good odds. Um, it's a question for you. It's a question. So, okay, so you you up and leave, mm -hmm. no guarantees. Now, does life immediately start to to open up for you, and and the path is clear, and no. and easy good things happen, no. or do you hit do you hit some walls, and you okay hit a go, bunch of yeah. walls? So then you, you if you think if you're an immigrant, you either you get married, you find work, or you go to school. That those are the legal ways to stay here. And so for me, deciding to quit meant I needed to make a lot of decisions, and I decided that I was going to go to school, get my MBA, which Hell, which soothed my parents because if any anyone that knows a lot of Nigerian parents, achievement <laughs> is a big deal. And so I, I, I decided I was going to do that. That meant that I needed to start studying for my GMAT and planning the quit date. So I, I knew I was going to quit and I was studying for my GMAT like instantly. And I didn't do well on my GMAT. I had a good G GPA, but I knew I wasn't going to take my GMAT again. It was too much <laughs> a, a study. And so what ended up happening was almost all the schools I applied to said no to me. I, I knew I wanted to go to New York City. All the schools said no to me. And Fordham, the school I ended up going to, only conditionally accepted me. I'd never heard of a conditional accept before. So they conditionally accepted me and said, you can come here. We're going to test you on three classes. It was statistics, business law, and like something else. And then um, I thought, well, maybe it was just, just those two. And then that would determine if you get full attendance. I took the risk and I just moved anyway. And what I did was I took more classes than I needed. I think I took six or five and I got a 3.9 GPA. And then I went to the lady and I said, hey, here are my grades. Can you lift this condition? And she was really mad at me because she said, we only asked me to take two, but I had done the math. I wouldn't have graduated in two years if I was doing it at that pace. So that was one hurdle 
to, to get uh, rid of. And then the other hurdle was understanding that I, as soon as I got into the school, I knew that the school was basically catered towards a lot of financial uh, professionals. And, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily a numbers guy. And so I had started to fall in love with the idea of creating my own podcast and being an entrepreneur. And the school didn't have a lot of programs for that. And so I was looked at as the uh, wild card. People would have recruiters come and I would willingly not go to those recruiters because I was developing my own podcast. I developed it in 2014. I've been doing this since 2014. And people thought I was bonkers. And I, I would hear it from people like, what are you, what is a podcast? Uh, and so I kept doing it and, and I was doing all these, all these consulting jobs. And then on the way I got fired twice. <laughs> you know, I would get one job and then I would use that to finance some of my bills for my podcast and all that. And then I graduated and I had one job and then they fired me <laughs> right before I needed to determine what I needed to do with my visa. And then I was, I, and then I was like, I was in, I was back to square one because you only have a year to decide if you want to uh, stay in the country or go back. And so I, I don't know, I, through, op, you know, they say luck and preparation is, you know, uh, and so I was doing a photo shoot for my podcast. And one of the ladies that was interviewing me says, have you ever heard of the O1 visa? I never heard of it. And the O1 visa is a visa, they call it visa for aliens with extraordinary abilities. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Super, it's a superhero visa. Hey, I you know, yeah. Superman is my I cousin. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, like, I love it. But, but I went to my lawyer at the time and he, he said, I said, you don't qualify on any level. <laughs> oh man come on lawyer know, what faith you I got know, in me i know because you, you have to be like a nobel peace prize winner or like an actor or a singer or something and so or a legit superhero yeah, or a marvel avenger basically, basically. and so i went back to to, to, to uh, my friend that had just been interviewing me and i said hey can you just introduce me to your lawyer and she says okay and so the lawyer says she gave me the lawyer speak i've seen people with less than what you have yeah, you know, get it. And people with more than what you have, um, you know, failed to get it. And she said, if you can get another job, we will be able to get the O1 with multiple employers that will strengthen your case because your podcast is still too new to really be considered that. And my mentor at the time, luckily, had been working looking at me and saying, hey, I like what you're doing with your brand. I'm starting a new company. I think we can merge what you're doing. And so as soon as I got that, I said, you know what? I have another employer. Let's do this. Um, and then we, we got in six months in, we realized that it wasn't going to be a good fit. But right before the six month mark, I got my visa approval. And then I shortly got fired the, after Trump got elected. <laughs> and so okay. I remember, I, I remember my, my boss telling me, I was like, I told him, look, I, this is New York City. I don't have any money. I was saving so that I could do all these things. He says, I've been looking at your calendar. You've been focusing a lot on your other speaking engagements and all these other things. And I'm doing you a favor by firing you right now. And if this is something you want to do, you will figure out rent. And wow. I was like, <clears throat> wow. Okay, Rob. <laughs> wow. And so it, it was on and on and on and on. But it, it, what you hear in the story, and, I, and I'll stop here, is there are many moments that appeared to be luck, but there were, I was always prepared. I, you know, I was prepared for it. The Trump election, which I, I brought up, ironically had come at a time when I got fired, but yes, I had been writing and podcasting consistently every week on cultural competency, especially since I had um, gotten to my accident in 2012. So you have four years of content of people now looking, yeah. people are now organically now looking, hey, the rabbit yeah, hole. they're now looking. And then I now, be, it now became outbound and people are like, hey, okay, this guy seems to be writing for it. And then that year I got fired, I got three TEDx talks. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Oh man, I love that. There's so much in what you're sharing. I love that your employer let you go. Let, let I mean, literally let you go, <laughs> fly, let you go. So you know, threw you into the deep end. You know, similar. I, I've been through similar situations where I would have held on for life to whatever safety net I thought I had at the moment, but life was like, uh-uh, nope. This ain't how we're gonna play this lifetime. <laughs> See that rug underneath your feet? Oop, it's gone. <laughs> and learn to learn to figure it out. Yeah. And those were both some of the scariest, but also the greatest gifts life ever gave me because I had to figure it yeah. out. And l likewise, man, I'm I'm here doing what I do today, similarly because of moments like that. So 
I love that. I wanted to ask you again to sort of, because I want to move on to some other sure. things that that I think we can really have some juicy conversation around. But I just want to ask this one last question about this journey. Mm. And you may have already shared it with us, but what would you say was your breakthrough moment that, and I'm sure there were many, but what was like the one moment where you realized, you know, after that 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 age at 22 when you quit your job and moved and you, you, you leapt off the cliff, so to speak, just the first cliff, because there's a lot of cliffs. You got to keep, you got to keep leaping off cliffs mm-hmm. in this path. What was the breakthrough moment where you said, okay, I've made it. That choice I made at 22, like I made it. Here I am. I'm, I, I made it. I think it was when I was speaking at the United Nations. It was either that speaking at the United Nations or the, you know what? Yes, it was the same year. And it was right after I had just given my largest talk. I gave a talk to around 5,000 people in a place called Chautauqua Institution in, in uh, um, upstate New York here. And the demographic, you know, we're 60 years old and older. And so, I, you know, I was already nervous. It was, it was this big lecture. They said Hillary Clinton had spoken there. All these other presidents have spoken there. And, I, you know, I was this kid. I was still in my 20s at the time. <laughs> and he said, hey, we saw one of your talks. We feel like you'd be good at this. And I, as soon as I gave this talk, I got my first standing ovation from about 4,000 plus people, you know, close to 5,000 people. Wow. And there was a line, of, there was a line of people waiting outside asking me to write a book. It, it was before my book came out. And I, so that they could give their grandkids uh, something about what was happening with Trump and, and all these things. And so it was that moment, I think, because I, I knew I was going to speak at United Nations shortly after. And so I was like, oh, shoot. I guess this matters. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. and that, and that was about that was about how many years after that that accident? was about five years. Yeah. Well, and I'd say that's pretty short as time goes, yeah. but it's still five years, yeah, five man. six years, you know, especially in your twenties. Five know? six years. Yeah. And this is the and, and I'm sure we'll get to it in the next line of topics. It it, it really, I, I just had to surrender a lot of ideas around my thoughts of success and what success meant for a Nigerian man. It meant for a black man. It meant for a man in general, because some of them were things that were programmed that I hadn't truly reflected on. I say often we live in a, we say we live in a more reactive world as opposed to reflective world. And that common sense isn't common because critical thinking isn't common. And so I was critically thinking through every one of my choices and why I made them and investigating all my beliefs about the world and the self. And I started to just realize that the things that I couldn't explain or navigate were things I could freely let go and explore and come up with my own definitions. And there was a certain freedom with that. You know, the decision not to go to, not to have, not to go to recruiting trips, for example, I felt confident doing that, even though People thought I was bonkers. The decision to go to New York on a conditional accept, the decision to just keep, you know, taking the risk of doing other speaking engagements while at my previous place of employment. I just found myself being more okay with risks. And I think it was a combination of those things that eventually led to that, that nexus point where I'd been training myself to just follow my, my, my heart, regardless of what other people thought. Beautiful. Thank you. All right, let, let's pivot. I want to dance in another in another area for a bit. Okay. I think it's it's uh, central to your work around through your background, growing up in was it five different countries? Yes, five different. Living in five different countries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the work that you do today, you know, you there's a poem that I watched uh, on YouTube that you put out through your channel. Uh, both and, oh. not either or right? Embracing nuance, this dance. So I think one of the challenges that we men often face is, you know, and I, I, I both, I'm, I both run men's groups. I am also in my own men's group and, uh, I'm, I'm greatly, deeply blessed that in my men's group of about 13 men, uh, five are black men, uh, I think six are, are white men. Uh, one is Asian. Uh, does that equal 13? It should. Uh, five, five, <laughs> right? six, eleven, twelve. Right? That's yeah. Five, six, one. Right? I might. Who am I missing? Maybe you. I'm not you sure. Might be yeah. no <laughs> Might be myself. Yourself. You're the thirteenth. Yeah. Another, another yeah. white guy. And we, we all have a great capacity to to dance in nuance and paradox and you know critically think to some degree. 
Um, I think we're all captured in our biases. Absolutely. But one of the things, so, so, so even in this group, which I think is a group of supermen, like we would all qualify for that O-1 visa, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we're all superheroes. And it can be at times really easy for us to, to kind of separate into these binary conversations yeah. of either or, not both and. You know, and we're we're vigilant about this because we know how damaging that can be. But still, we it's very tempting for the mind to see things in very black and white terms. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, actually, in the you know, speaking of you know, just the race uh, conversations that are arising these days. So I'm curious. So that that's sort of my I'm setting the table for us to have a dialogue and to get your wisdom and insight around this. I guess the thing that I want to I'll ask to, as a lead into this is. What do you think is the biggest challenge that's facing men in particular in this increasingly polarizing world we're living in? I don't know if it's increasingly polarized. It's just maybe becoming more evident about how polarized we are, maybe. I don't know. That's debatable. Mm -hmm. But what do you think is the biggest challenge facing men in the world we live in today in the context of what I'm sharing? And what wisdom could you offer in the face of it? I don't think I don't think we have an accountability culture as a world. I think a lot of the times in the world we reward bad behavior, and I'll explain this. If you look at all the codes, whether it's guy code, girl code, bro code, anything, whatever code of silence, blue wall of silence, any any of these things, the subtext of that oftentimes is protect our own regardless of the consequence, and. When we don't train and model accountability for the youth, right? I part of Big Brother, Big Sister, for example. So I have a, a little kid that's 14 year old that I've been mentoring for six years now. And then it, I see the same thing. He would just say, oh, that's how I saw it. That's what I grew. That's what I did. And it becomes so automatic for people to say, if you point out a problem, you think I'm a bad person. And if you think I'm a bad person, then there's nothing else I can contribute. Where people can't separate the idea of them being part of the problem and them allowing themselves to grow, right? You know, we've become so married to the idea of, oh my gosh, that person called me out. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to be this? Instead of falling in love with the idea of, okay, I made a mistake now. I'm going to grow. And maybe this person doesn't forgive me, but I do make an impact in that growth, right? Our focus isn't on the, on the right thing. And when we don't have a culture of accountability, I think that's so dangerous because new ideas don't penetrate that wall because the, 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 the things that we used to think were cool in the 2000s, for example, are not cool now. I remember watching movies then that they, they used to say derogatory words for members of the LGBTQIA plus community in PG-13 movies. It was considered a normal insult. And then it stopped. Our word in, in mental health used to be considered uh, just a normal insult. And then we, we unlearned that. And all these other things, same thing with gender identities. And so today in the world where people aren't used to having a culture of accountability, as soon as you point something out to them, their immediate reaction is to, to defend themselves so much that they actually emphasize <laughs> what people, people are calling out. You know, oh, you, you, you call me racist, whatever. That's that you, you just, you just want to be entitled. There's no way I can be racist. That happened in the sixties. No re no willingness to really explore where that person is coming from. And if they in fact are part of the problem, right. And, and when you're not able to be accountable to yourself and to your environment, I don't know that any, <laughs> any growth can exist. In fact, it creates that, what you said, that idea of, a seemingly polarized world and an actual polarized world. Uh, and I think it also, what you're saying, it also gives way to this extreme uh, thing that we're calling collectively cancel culture. Yeah. When there's no, you know, I want to explore with you, what does it look like? What does accountability culture look like versus this extreme reaction of, well, no one's accountable, so fuck you, you're dead yeah, to me. Yeah. And you should be dead to everybody. And, and yeah. And that's what I, that's my interpretation of this thing called canceling is we just want to kill something off so that it never lives and breathes again. Yeah. That's not accountability not, at all. Yeah. That's just wrath. That's just a wound seeking vengeance on, yeah. on the world, on the people that it, <laughs> yeah. it, it feels hurt. And by. then you have people that would not want to say anything because they're afraid of getting canceled. And so when you don't say anything, you know what happens with biases in your brain is your brain is only going to work with what it has. 
the information it has, right? You haven't even been, because you're not trying to learn anymore. You just want to defend yourself. And so even though you secretly feel something that is toxic and bad, in your private moments, the people that you have influence over, they're modeling that behavior and they go out into the, into the world. And, you know, some may be more vocal, some may be more influential and, and that. And that's what creates the culture because you didn't put yourself in an uncomfortable position where you needed to unlearn certain things. And I always use this as an example. Nigeria and many other countries in Africa and Asia are very homophobic. In fact, it is 14 years in jail in Nigeria. And those were cultures that were considered normal, normal, right? But if I didn't unlearn it and people around the world didn't start unlearning that, it, it becomes toxic because then you start saying these things and then you, you, someone else who, who identifies as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community starts to think that something is wrong with them because you are saying it with your action and inaction instead of being an advocate and saying, I'm going to push against the status quo because it's wrong. And it doesn't matter that it's been accepted for so long. So, so let's all right. So let's let's bring this into the personal domain um, for a moment, because you know s- systems are made up of, of people right. ultimately. Right. And I think it's one of the great challenges is when we talk about systemic, all the systemic issues, systemic racism, systemic oppression. I think a lot of a lot of people, not that I speak for anyone other than myself, <laughs> but feel overwhelmed by how the hell do we address that? But one thing that I am acutely aware of, again, in, in working in men's groups is, is accountability. There's a, there's a, and I want to get your take on this, but I notice in, in men's groups, a good men's group has accountability baked into it yeah. in ways because we can push up against each other and, and other men say, nope, you can't, you can't go that far. You just went too far. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you see... Like a, a man listening to this who maybe knows, I think all fucking men know on some level we need to be held accountable to something yeah. to pull out our greatness. How would you recommend a man begin to kind of create a culture of accountability for himself in a way that you know doesn't put his intimate partner necessarily in the position of doing that? So understand your BTV. This is why I said, and I was explaining what BTV is, but so B is bias. T is trigger, V is value. So if you think about biases, everyone has bias. It doesn't make you good or bad. Not all bias is inherently bad. In fact, that's how we protect ourselves. But biases come from story, fear, avoidance, and security. So story. Some religion, some philosophy, someone has passed on some idea to you, and you've come to accept it and believe it. That's a story, right? Or you watched it in media. Fear. Maybe you've actually had bad experiences with a particular group of people, nationality, whatever, repeatedly, that it's become the narrative, right? So it's fear. It's a way to protect yourself. Avoidance. We talked about it briefly earlier. When you avoid an uncomfortable topic, politics, religion, and so what's left is what's already out there. Whether you're aware of it, it just seeps into your brain and, you know, it's like the conversation people used to have with me when they found out I was Nigeria. Like, wait, I thought it was, a, it was like you don't speak English or how come? I thought you spoke this. And then security, a way for you to feel better about yourself. And sometimes you see this when people are putting other people down or if you, for the, you know, people to elevate themselves. So you need to create a list of what your biases are. This may be towards women, towards other men you don't consider manly enough, which I, it's a term I despise <laughs> so much. But all these things really reflect on that. Then triggers. Now, I, we don't. We, people don't understand this part about self awareness. When I'm saying triggers, understand how your body and mind reacts to certain words or certain things. You know, you know when you're angry, but you don't often understand why you're angry, which is such a funny thing to say. Many people know when they're angry, but they don't understand why they're angry. But you need to know it around all your emotions. What is going to trigger your happiness, your sadness, your you know feeling of uh, uh, unsafety, and any of these things. Because the better you're, you're able to do that, the better you can define your boundaries, the better you can also communicate your boundaries, and the better you can investigate what you need to push through. You know, whether it's something that makes you uncomfortable that shouldn't make you uncomfortable, you need to push through that. And whether it's something that you're putting yourself in harm's way repeatedly and surrounding yourself with people that are actually making you become the worst of yourself. So that's the T, the triggers. But you need to journal that and make that a habit to understand that. And then your values. I do this exercise, I wrote in the book, and I do this exercise with a lot of my workshops. I ask people to tell me what their five core values are. And almost always, people don't know what the five core values. They can't name it off the top of the head. Four, three, two, maybe they don't know two, maybe they don't know one. 
And isn't that the most ironic thing? Because people are so quick to tell you how good of a person they are, how bad of a person someone else is. But if you don't even know what you what you believe and why you believe them, how do you know who you are? And so your five core values, uh, mind of curiosity, creativity, compassion, courage, and joy. So four C's and J. I ask people to then name that, and you can find it out by really reflecting on the things that you like the most, your favorite superhero, your favorite TV shows, your favorite all these things, and then extrapolating the values from there or just going through a value exercise. But that's one step. You then have to live out your five core values every day. That means you have to find a way to fill your value cups every single day because that is going to counteract your brain to become more intentional and accountable as opposed to more reactive and programmed. And so if you start practicing your BTVs, you are going to see the separation of the idea of who you are versus who you are. And the more you do that individually and as a group, you're gonna, it's going to be so night and day, right? And, and so it's those three things that I, I would say, understanding your BTVs. Okay, so let's, let's unpack this a little bit more. So, I mean, you've just unpacked the hell out of it. It was great. <laughs> I want to just slow, slow, slow us down a little sure. bit. So list of bias bias, the stories we're telling, the stories we've received maybe from our parents, from our religions, mm-hmm. from our, our political ideologies, right. affiliations, the stories we're telling around, I think perhaps maybe that, I wonder if maybe that would even especially serve in the domains in which we're most triggered. Yes. You know, if politics really gets our goat, okay, well, let's examine the stories that we're- Exactly. I think- and I wonder if a big challenge in there is we is is people generally don't understand the distinction between a story and a fact, yes. like so-called reality. Yeah. Uh, how would you how would you help make that distinction? So for this somebody? is the funny thing: a story can be a fact, and a story can be fiction. So, <laughs> so, but the, 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 because the world, everything we have is we believe stories, whatever whether they're true or not. But the the, the distinction there is. We need to be able to articulate why things bother us. And I'll, sometimes I'll just watch comments on YouTube or I'll just look at people go off just because I study human behavior for, for wow. a living. I know, I know. I love, this is people, people. Oh, I have man. to. I, You're asking for I it. I know, but you know, I, I put myself there sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes if I want to really corner someone, you know, I'll just, I'll just ask them, to, I'll just be doing the level, multiple levels of why. Okay, so why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? I don't know, just because. Go back to Africa. Well, why? Well, because you weren't supposed to be in a country, but whose land was it? Well, I don't know whose land it was there, but we came here first. When you get to that level, that point where you couldn't explain the point <laughs> is the interesting thing you need to reflect on. And it's often because people feel threat as a threat that someone is going to take something of theirs that they've taken ownership of. Uh, like in the last few years with America, it might be a sense of nationalism and national identity. You are taking my culture, my tradition, which ironically leads to these two separate definitions of freedom. So one group is defining freedom as the ability to say and do what they want without consequence. And another group is defining freedom as the ability to be free to be themselves without punishment. So it's the same definition, uh, same word rather, different definitions. But the lack of self-awareness and, and the inability to see the hypocrisy of, of it is a lot of where the problem resides because they are in that binary mindset where they say, if I give in to you a point, you've won and I'm less than instead of, hey, I'm expanding the table here for you to have your own lived experience also shared and removing the hypocrisy of enforcing my lived experience and my worldview as the standard and norm. Um, so it's that. It's really a lot of reflection. And I don't think a lot of people do that. I think, yeah, I see this a lot, uh, particularly when I'm working with couples. Mm. Um, this We conflate validating someone's experience with agreeing with it, Yes, like agreeing with the reasons for it. Like the only way I can agree with you is if I, or the only way I can validate you is by agreeing with you and I don't agree with you. So there's no fucking way I'm validating yeah. you. And inside of that, there is just disconnection and ultimately, I mean, yeah. you know, some form of violence, whether it's verbal or eventually physical, physical emotional, whatever. Um, I think that's really powerful what you're pointing at about – I did that once with uh, someone close in my family who did not believe in gay marriage. Mm-hmm. 
And so I asked him, well, okay, well, why? Why do you believe this? And he said, well, it's because it's the, you know, this, this. Okay, well, well, well tell me more about that. And I, I just watched as he kind of, as I just asked questions, he meandered his way into a place where he's like, you know, I, I can't really explain it. I, I just I just feel like it's true. <laughs> you see that? You see that? That happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, you just feel, all right, I mean, that's not really a great way to run a society. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but okay. And, and I, I think, you know, inside of that feeling is a trigger. There's, there's an upset. Yeah. There's a visceral response to something yeah. that they can't really articulate. Yes. You're sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but you know what that, the reason why I said trigger comes after that bias is because a lot of people's triggers is they don't want to seem ignorant. They don't want to seem like a hypocrite and they don't want to feel, they don't want to feel less than, but the most ironic thing about acceptance is I don't believe acceptance is approval. I think acceptance is the opposite of avoidance. That's why. So, and so when you accept something, like you said, it doesn't mean you're necessarily validating them. But we were talking, we opened this conversation in the idea of nuance and, and, and we have a lot of binary worlds. Multiple things can be true at the same time and multiple things can be false. But if you can't accept something, as a, as a truth for someone else, it is so dangerous because you're saying your truth matters more. Yeah, and I, I think so. I, I love that map of bias then down to trigger because I find, and, and this will happen in our men's groups a lot, where we, we kind of resort into, if, if there's a, a conversation where we resort into this binary logic, it's, it's either or, it can't possibly be both. Well, what often happens is the way back to connection is for us to acknowledge, you know what? I'm feeling really triggered. I'm really angry. I'm upset. I'm not feeling heard. I'm not feeling like I can feel there's stress in my body. My face is tight. Like when we refer, we start speaking back into what's actually happening in the body. And when when two people can, and often it only takes one person to start to do that, <laughs> that the other person will start to get a little more curious and be like, oh, okay, well, you're hurting, you know, if there's, if there's that person has any desire to really be connected. Uh, and I, I know in this world today, a lot of people don't give a shit about being connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, but I know that that, so I love that map when we just get into the body and start to speak about what's going on there, connection starts to kind of ma almost magically pre present the possibility of itself, oh, yeah. of the experience. Ab absolutely. And if I, if to break your audience brains even more <laughs> is this, is that, I, everybody has their own version of black and white and their own version of gray, but they're not clearing that. So I'll tell you this, and I don't even think it's bad. I think that's the irony of what nuance is because we, we have laws in this, this country, right? For example, so there's a, some level we believe something is <laughs> black and white and then some we have areas of gray, but we don't discuss enough of that because people's definitions of what they consider killing, for example. So if I ask the question, I always do this. Hey, how many do you think killing is bad? Some people will say, yes, it's absolutely bad in every situation. Some will say, well, what about self-defense? Or what about this? Or what about war? What about war? What about... Then you start having this varying variance of this. And it with almost everything, people have their own black and white and their gray. We're humans. We all have that. But we're never, or rarely, let me not say never, or rarely honest about that because I don't know. We have this fear of feeling like a hypocrite or feeling like, like we are not consistent but no one is. <laughs> when you think about everything, we grow, we acquire more information. This rule works here. It doesn't work there. Some drinking age is less than is 18, maybe in, in some countries there is 21. And we don't have that conversation in tandem, which is the nuance between that. It's okay. We should have that discussion. It doesn't mean you were wrong before or you're right, or it doesn't mean that you can't grow from being wrong before. Yeah, and I, I like, and so then the final stop on that map is values, yeah. and and I think you know that word you use the word courage. As I was reflecting on your question, that was a word that came to my mind as well. Again, there's another word though that I think people have vastly different interpretations of, and I think I believe I'll just share my bias around the word courage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it takes far more courage to embrace, to be willing to accept that someone else's reality is true for them. Mm. Wow. Rather than attempt to argue them out of it. It takes far more courage because it, it requires that I suspend my absolute certainty about how things are in the world. That takes far more courage than 
dismissing and attempting dis- to dismantle someone else's reality just so that mine becomes the dominant reality. Wow. That's my bias around courage. That's my, you know, what say you? So I think courage is the ability for you to show up as you are in all spaces. And it's so, and, and, and the reason I say that is we've just outlined why it's difficult to do so, right? So our lived experiences are very, very different, but it doesn't mean it's any less than or more than. But when we look at masculinity, femininity, any of these things that we have, right? There are certain unwritten codes of conduct that almost always prevent your full self from showing up because it's, it takes or demerits you from membership into that group. Now, the people that are, have the ability to say, look, I'm this regardless of what you say or what the rules are, I feel like that's courage because it, it just, it, they're willing to expand and push against the status quo. So, I mean, but I'm defining it from my lived experience, right? And I love yours as well. So it's funny that, that's, that we have different definitions of that, but I've always thought it's just being able to show up fully as yourself in all spaces. Well, I, I like your definition. I'm enrolled in your definition. I'm enrolled in yours too. I think- <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. beautiful. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Let, I want to land this again for, for, for men that are listening. And, and again, this podcast has a lot of women listeners as well, but I'm going to land this in a question. So if, if someone listening is wrestling with their is wrestling, and again, let's make this personal because usually it happens. Maybe they're in a conversation with a friend who's on the other side of a political divide or a family member or maybe, you know, someone in their family doesn't want to get vaccinated <laughs> and they're vaccinated or the opposite. Oh, the opposite, you yeah, know, yeah, and they're in yeah, that, the opposite exists. They're in that conversation, whatever. But they're, or just their intimate partner. Again, there's a, there's a reality that someone close to them is holding that they're just they're unable to buy into and it pains them and it's creating a disconnect that is painful. And that is, I mean, in this, this day and age, man, I think most people are experiencing this in one form or another with someone close in their lives. How can they bridge that gap? How can they bridge that divide? How can they, by taking, you know, with themselves, the other person ain't going to change their position. Yeah. How does someone confront that in themselves in a way that can at least create the possibility to bridge? See, so this, this is going to be tricky because there's no one answer. One of the things I've started to realize in the last few years is that there are people in your loved ones that you might be able to coexist with. And there are people in your loved one circles that you cannot coexist with anymore based on that. And I didn't used to, you know, before I was like, no, it's everyone. But that idea of understanding your triggers is you need to have your boundaries because part of your mental health to come there. Because when you were doing your BTVs, you're going to find that your values might be diametrically opposed to, to some other people, like, like a threat level <laughs> diametrically opposed. And you have to be okay with separating and moving away from that. And then there are others like you, like your friend who are easily, who might be easily influenced, but haven't really thought why they believe that. And I, th- I, that's where I exist. I, I believe that there's more room for, ex- for coexisting in those areas because they're just regurgitating beliefs or they're, they, they haven't really worked out all those, all those thoughts there. But that's going to require inquiry and conversations. And the more you have conversations with people and where you come from a place, and this is how you have it, you, you come from a place where you, you speak from your worldview and why this is important to you. And then you ask them the same questions, why, is, why it's important to them on your worldview. And you, you both are able to each explain why each other feels the same way. And if you both are at that point and you still feel like this person is dangerous or this person there's room for, for moving, you make that decision. But it's very important because your environment matters. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can relate to your your desire to want to bring everybody together. I mean, when I was four, my parents divorced and my family would never, ever, ever be again together. Uh. And so there's a wound in me that's constantly wanting to heal itself by bringing warring parties together. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Wow. You know, and, 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 you know, it's good for me to recognize that because I, in past, I have tried to force things. I've had, I've tried to, you know, even in, in a, with a kind of Pollyanna ish outlook on mm. things like, no, 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 no. Can't we all just get along? Like we can, we can, we can fig, figure, figure this out, fix this. And in fact, no, there are times where actually it would cause more harm to try to be together and bring fact. 
people, family, whatever, together than to just respect that this is not to be and back off and move on with it. Hey, and that's also courage, by the way. <laughs> Thinking about that, the courage totally. and surrender, yeah, the ability yeah, yeah. to actually accept that. Hey, look, look at us coming up around the definitions of courage. But that, that, that takes a lot of courage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it, man. All right. Well, that's, that's beautiful. And, and so bias, exploring bias, your bias, checking in with your triggers, and exploring the triggers. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that's a big challenge. I mean, a lot of men, especially women too, certainly, but you know, we are not encouraged to live inside of our bodies, no. to be connected to our bodies no. to, so, um, but nonetheless, I am a thousand percent on board with the importance of, you know, I, I can speak to, I, I have had friendships saved by the very capacity of one or the other of us being able to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm really enraged right now. And put a period on that sentence. Not I'm enraged because you're a dick Mm. or I'm enraged because, because you, but just, you know what? I'm feeling a lot of rage right now. I've had friendships, literally, there's one friendship I've had that was saved by, by our capacity mutually to just do that. That's, to that's feel powerful. rage in the body and speak to it. Huh. See, that's about, and I imagine this, the trigger work is probably something that you see almost all, all the time in your men's groups, because I, I, I can't imagine the amount of trauma and, and, and things that they have to work through, but you, 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 I know, you know, the importance of that, but that's not taught in any school, in any schools rather. Right? I mean, I'm sure there's some schools that teach that, but, that's the that that that's the hidden part, right? Some people will be able to tell you, some people can communicate their biases to you, but they don't know the, the, how to do the deep work because they feel like doing the deep work is like some level of emasculation <laughs> or, or right. something like right. that. And so, yeah, there's that. Well, like you said earlier, weakness, weakness, yeah, weakness, idea of weakness. Yeah. Weakness. If I have feelings, I am weak. Yeah. 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 I, I wrote an article years ago. Uh, hiding weakness kills men. Hiding weakness, it kills us, whether through suicide or through our acting out of refusing to really be vulnerable in our feelings, acting out what we're experiencing on the world around us and murdering people, you know, yeah. or for going to war, et cetera. Yeah. So I love your work, man. It's so, thank you, thank and, you. and I know we just barely scratching the tippy top of the iceberg, uh, Tayo, of what you're up to, man, and what you're doing in the world. Are you in a relationship? No, 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 not yet. I, I, no, I was in one before the pandemic, and then I haven't been in one since. But wherever she well, is, well, I, I am, I am. <laughs> uh, no, it's all in, all in divine timing, right? Well, one day, man, you and I are going to come on this podcast or maybe some other yeah. thing, or we'll just sit down and, and around a fire and chat when you are uh, neck deep into a relationship. And we're going to talk about Please. the triggers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love to do that, actually. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that, man. But no, your, your work is so important uh, in the world today, right now. Um, I want to I wanna wrap up with the five key takeaway questions. Okay. We've danced in and out of some really beautiful conversations here, and it's my hope that our, our listeners are, are taking a lot of gold nuggets that they can work with in their lives. And these five key takeaway questions, I, I created these to just help people, so some clear things they can kind of hook their brains on as they, as they exit listening uh, to us, exit this conversation. Okay. So, you, you yes, ready? Yes, I am. All right. Key takeaway number one. Uh, key insight. What's the one key insight that you would offer listeners that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours? First thing I would say is currently assess and investigate your environment right now and see if you need to make some changes. It's often it's often there. For me, obviously, it was that near death. I, I literally removed locations. <laughs> but changing your environment could be people or places. And that uh, is, is number one insight, I would say for now. What, what's what's the indicator? Like, what, what should they be looking out for whether to, to know that, yep, this needs to change? Well, if you get if you got if you do all that exercise, the BTV again to that, you're going to start, you're going to start feeling alignment or disalignment. And you'll be in a rut or you'll be inspired. And <laughs> when when you're in a rut and you're consistently disaligned, it means something is not, you know, working, right? And so you have to really reflect on it. Are you putting yourself in a, in a place where you're not inspired? Are your parents constantly doing this? Or your, is your partner wrong for you? Are you in the right business? But you start asking those questions 
And the courage <laughs> that you, you, you will find yourself doing is whether you can change that environment or work towards changing that environment because it's not always as immediate as, as it can be. So Thank you. Number two, key mentor. Name another man that you've been inspired by, living or dead, that you would recommend our listeners learn more about. Uh, Nelson Mandela. <laughs> uh, and uh, the late Nelson Mandela is my biggest inspiration. And then Santiago from The Alchemist. So if you... If any of you have ever read the The Alchemist, it's all. About- See the main character. Yes, yes. Yeah, so I I had to look up because I don't think his name was written in the book, but I think someone someone wrote it out there. But finding your personal legend, you know, it's a very short read. But yeah, Nelson Mandela, just because I mean, I remember I grew up under dictatorship, as I said earlier. But he was like the closest person that looked like me who was fighting for freedom. But he also spent 27 years in jail for, for what it was. I, and I, you know, for much of my life, I was not up to 27. And I was thinking, if this man can spend 27 years in jail <laughs> and have the most meaningful moments, even more significant happen afterwards, what am I doing here? So read his book, Long Walk to Freedom, and I think people will understand. Key resource, your most impactful, inspiring book, movie, or podcast of just this last year. Uh, okay, so this last year. Hmm. I I love Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outliers. So I'll say you can read Outliers and also check out his podcast called Revisionist History. And then resource is uh, Masterclass. So Masterclass is a group of courses uh, from several professionals. I don't know about your audience, but I'm someone that gets inspired by watching other creatives work. And there are a bunch of creatives in whatever thing you're interested in, sports, movies, creative, anything. But... There's so many little nuggets and the class is so short that I feel like you're bound to be inspired watching how people figure out the sausages of their their uh, industries. So so and you're specifically calling out Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Yeah. Outliers uh, is one of the I, you can start with Outliers and then there are a bunch of books, but Outliers would be probably one I'll start with first. I until, love his work. And Tipping Point. Oh, yeah. T- tipping Point is the other book. Yes. Yeah. Tipping Point. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, key investment in the last year. What's the best thing you spent money on? We're, we're going to go under $10,000. <laughs> key investment under, uh-huh. under $10,000. Gosh. Oh, therapy. Well, that was easy. Um, uh-huh. So um, I've been going to therapy regularly for, for a while. Ironically, it was my last relationship, which is very toxic, that got me to therapy. Um, but it was also really helpful during the pandemic. And, and, and it's definitely less than $10,000. So better help. There you go. High, He's better help. <laughs> high, high, highly recommend therapy, some kind of, you know, coaching work. You got to be really careful. Well, I mean, same. You got to be careful what therapist same, you work with. Same. same. You got to be careful what, what coach you work with. But yeah, absolutely, man. It's good. It's how it helps uncover all those biases. That's right. And triggers as well. Yep. Yeah. That's what happened to me. Last one, man. Key practice. Please offer one consistent practice, spiritual, creative, personal, or relational that has served you well and that you challenge our listeners to take on for the next even seven days? So I don't think people practice their hobbies enough. So my, I'm a huge sports fan, basketball. You can see, <laughs> if I even go further, you see a bunch of jerseys over there. And the moments that I found myself even just going down to the court, there's a basketball court nearby where I, I shoot I shoot hoops. I, I, I like to make at least 100 shots or play pickup games. It's a moment of clarity. For you, for the audience, it might be, you know, listening, it might be meditation, it might be dancing, it might be watching a movie, it might be doing something. But intentionally practicing something that you love or doing something that you love is so meaningful because it reminds you of your life. <laughs> like it gives you life. You're like, oh my gosh. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And it's something like that. I don't think we even practice that enjoyment enough. And so even if it's 30 minutes uh, or whatever, find those moments to do that. And, and then I think meditation, but I didn't want to give a cliche answer, but find something that you love and actually practice doing it at least every, you know, once every week. And then you can see if you can go from there. You know, it, it, it's, it seems like such radical advice. And yet what the hell else are we doing with our time? If we're not regularly engaging and doing what we would love to be doing in that moment, what the fuck are we doing? I agree, but you know what's funny? Many people don't do that. That's the thing. I know. It's so funny. It's, rad- it's radical advice. Yeah. Why is that radical? 
because that shouldn't be radical. That should be obvious. It should be, but you know, like we said, like you said, <laughs> we come, we fall in love with these ideas that we shouldn't be doing this or we shouldn't do that. And I like if you if you like to do it, that's what matters. That that, that is what matters. It's not what other people seriously, man. Yeah, we have been lied to, Tayo. We have been lied to, man. Like. Like, oh man, that's just so many things. I've looked back to youth and like, you lied to me about all of this, this way I'm supposed to live my life that was wrong. Yeah. Um, and that's it, like work. I should be working hard, working, producing, being productive. Man, not, there's nothing wrong with that, but that shouldn't be the point of my existence. No, not at all, not at all, not at all. And, and that's why I've been able to, you know, for podcasting, and I know you podcast often, you have people, my podcasting is the freest thing I do, right? Um, but I've been doing it, for seven years, I love the conversations. Now, I just love getting to know people and I practice that, but it's my way of finding joy. Same thing with the sports. Everyone in listening has to find whatever it is for them. It could be the gym for some people. It could be whatever it is, but you got to find it. <laughs> Dude, when I saw that you had been doing podcasting, Electra Podcast, doing it since 2014, I was like mad respect for this oh, man this you, is no you. small feat thank you so much. congratulations man thank you. yeah uh, in fact i'd love for you now to take a moment and tell our listeners where they can find you and, and yeah where, where can we find you so learn more about you so, well thank you for having me this has been really fun i love uh yeah. deep conversations like this that uncover my pleasure man uh, so my digital home is tyroxon.com so t-a-y-o-r-o-c-k-s-a-o-n.com and you can find my book, podcasts, or anything there. And my social media platforms are all at Tyroxin. But uh, yeah, easy to find. Uh, come say hi and happy to interact. I love the, the name of your book. Oh, name of my book is Use Your Difference to Make a Difference. Yes. Tyler, there's so much we could talk about, man. We could dive into that. And I would love to have you back on again yes. in the future. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here, man. Really, I really enjoyed this. Love what you're up to. Pleasure's on mine. And yeah, let's do it. You just let me know. We will. Right. We will. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you again to Tayo Roxon. You can find Tayo at Tayo, T-A-Y-O, Roxon, R-O-C-K-S-O-N dot com. Of course, that link and any resources and his, a link to his book and Tayo's five key takeaways will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. If you were served by this and think others should hear it too, please share this episode or even better, write a review because your words matter. People often are looking at the reviews to decide whether or not they should listen to a podcast and you taking a moment to just write a review would help lead more men and women for that matter. We have a lot of women listeners, but more men and more women this way. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired. <laughs>